0: Welcome to Beyond the Thesis with Papa PhD, the podcast that delves into the diverse and impactful roles scientists can play beyond the lab. With me, David Mendez. Welcome to this new episode of Beyond the Thesis with Papa PhD. Today, I have the great pleasure of uh, having back on the show, Adriana Bankston, and uh, uh, having a new guest on the show, Jamie Vernon, both from Sigma Xi. And uh, Adriana has... Been on the show a few years ago, and uh, and her her bio her CV has evolved. She is now senior fellow in civic science and public policy with Sigma Xi, where she leads a project that examines science policy engagement at the state level, and determines the skills, knowledge, and resources required by scientists to successfully influence public policy. Prior to this role, uh, Adriana was a principal uh, legislative analyst at the University of California Office of Federal Governmental Relations, where she served as an advocate for the university with Congress, the administration, and federal agencies. Adriana has had a number of roles leading to where she is today, and in recognition of her contributions to the field, she was named among the top 20 in 2022 Advocacy practi- Practitioners by the Advocacy Association and awarded the inaugural 2022 ARIS Emerging Broader Impact Leader Award. Adriana earned her PhD in biochemistry, cell and developmental biology, so not from social sciences or poly, you know, from that side, she actually pretty close to what I did, um, and developmental biology from Emory University. Welcome again, Adriana. Jamie Vernon is Executive Director and CEO at Sigma Xi and publisher of American Scientist. From 2014 to 2017, he served as Sigma Xi's Director of Science Communications and Publications and Editor-in-Chief of American Scientist. He was also Sigma Xi's Co-Director of Operations from 2014 to 2015 uh, and he's a molecular biologist by training, again, from the same side of, uh, <laughs> of the sciences uh, spectrum. Um, uh, he transitioned from research in 2011 to serve as an American Association for the Advancement of Science, which uh, you may know by, it's, uh, by AAS, Science and Technology Policy Fellow, and uh, an Oak Ridge Institute for Science and Education Fellow in the U.S. Department of Energy. For more than a decade he has been an advocate for the use of science in decision making at all levels of government, business, and in our personal lives. He holds a bachelor's he holds a bachelor's in zoology from North Carolina State University, a master's in biotechnology from East Carolina University, and a PhD in cell and molecular biology from the University of Texas at Austin, welcome, Jamie. Welcome, Adriana, to Beyond the Thesis with Papa PhD. It's a pleasure to have you here today to talk about science policy. <laughs> so the first, the first thing um, that, you know, that strikes me is, uh, and, and I've had conversations with students about this, is uh, people who are, let's say, in cell biology, in biochemistry, often don't imagine themselves being... In policy, it's, they think, "Oh, this is for people from who who have had a track of of human of um, uh, human sciences, uh, what you call humanities." Uh, and and clearly, uh, it's not the case. I, I would the thing I would ask now of of uh, both of you would be to talk a little bit about that uh, and maybe making kind of the the link to your uh, each of your personal journeys from the bench to what you do today. Maybe starting with Jamie, who's the, the new guest on the show.
1: Yeah, it's it's great to be here. And, and thanks for asking that question, because I think there's a lot of grad students and postdocs out there who are pursuing science careers and haven't even contemplated other possibilities. Uh, and I think that that's par for the course when you're a science scientist, you're very tunnel vision focused on... Uh, probably an academic position or maybe you're thinking about an industry research position. But what I learned very early in my scientific career, I, I remember specifically in 2001, I was interested in stem cells and the Bush administration um, made a executive um, order that there would no longer be development of new stem cell lines. And, you know, I was sort of studying Um, evolution and development and expecting that stem stem cells was going to be a key therapeutic in the future. So I immediately, from that point on, recognized the intersection between science and policy and started to follow it more closely. And and obviously, my master's degree, which was related to evolution and development, uh, I also was interested in the teaching of, of evolution. And So the controversy about the way evolution is taught in classrooms is also a policy issue. And um, being a scientist, I wanted to make sure that our future scientists and and, and students were getting the best education around evolution. So these two things really shaped my thinking throughout my graduate career and into my postdoc about the intersection of science and policy. Uh, In 2007, I started writing a blog about policy uh and that sort of opened my eyes to all of the intersections of of science and policy and i went on to establish a policy organization on my campus while i was working on my doctorate at the university of texas at austin Uh, i never really thought that that was going to be a career but i felt like as a scientist i had a unique perspective to contribute or apply my expertise in the policy arena Um, time went on I became more involved in policy, and I began to view it as a potential career path. And ultimately, uh, early into my postdoc career, i uh, I had to make a decision because I was accepted for the AAAs Science and Technology Policy Fellowship, had to make a decision about whether or not I wanted to make that leap fully out of research and uh, into policy. And I'll just say for those who are out there thinking about policy uh, as a potential career, you know, I hadn't published in my postdoc yet. So I knew that if I if I made the move towards policy, I probably wasn't gonna be going back to the bench because as you know, the publish or perish situation still exists. And so um, you know, that was sort of how I went through the early stage uh, process of thinking about policy. I made the leap. I'm glad I did because it opened uh, doors that I never expected to see. Uh, gave me opportunities to establish myself in the policy arena, um, started to build a career path for myself. And then um, that led to my current position at Sigma Xi, but uh, there's a lot of steps along the way there as well. But it was it was a great decision for me. And I think you have to sort of dabble in it in order to get an idea of whether or not it's right for you. Uh, And then make that commitment once Mm -hmm. you're ready.
0: It's it's super interesting, something you mentioned, because Adriana, who has been on the show, mentioned something similar, which is you organized as a graduate student, some sort of group event uh, or seminars. I don't know what form it took exactly around science policy. And uh, Adriana, it was the same with you, right? Can, can Can you maybe do the parallel with that and talk a little bit about your journey so far?
2: sure yeah so you know my my interest in policy as we've we've talked about that on here before um has come from being in academia and trying to influence universities to support the stem pipeline whether that means you know paying 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 postdocs better or treating students well and thinking about mentoring and career development and mental health and all these things so really thinking about the research environment that um scientists need to be successful in research. Um, that really was um, a sort of general interest that I turned into my career eventually. Um, so working on, um, you know, advocating for postdoc salaries um, in response to federal labor law. This was 2016, I think, um, which was really a passion project. And it developed into this idea of how we could help, um, Trainees, sort of from the federal level, and um, how policymaking could influence what's happening in academia, essentially, and that that intersection. Um, and this became, you know, I, I had advocated for um, trainees and, and sort of their success in science before I actually worked in advocacy, and so I transitioned. Um, through a number of societies and nonprofits, uh, eventually into a fellowship with Society for Neuroscience, where, again, we advocated for um, research funding and training. Um, as you mentioned in the intro, uh, worked through the University of California, very similar sort of, um, you know, advocacy for um, funding for federal research and uh, supporting the STEM pipeline. But, it, of course, that was related, more related to um, uh, researchers in the UC system, but overall, again, the same the same sort of trend um, of supporting uh, researchers who wanted to engage in policy and coming to DC to talk about their work on the Hill and with agencies. Um, and now with the work with Sigma Xi and, and other things I'm doing um, has, it's more related to um, how we can really connect scientists to po- the policy space, uh, maybe not as directly, but um, or not, not directly ad- an advocacy, but uh, trying to create pathways for them to to engage right, through a number of different roles.
0: Excellent. That that was actually going to be my next question. So both of you uh, are now
2: uh,
0: working together at Sigma Zi. We've mentioned Sigma Zi in the beginning. Before I have another, I have a question coming up. But before that, does one of you want to share what Sigma Zi is, what the mission is?
1: Sure, I'll talk about that. Uh, so Sigma's I is the Scientific uh, honors, Research Honor Society. Uh, it's basically the Honor Society for scientists and engineers. We have members all over the country and around the world uh, in chapters uh, at universities, academ- academic um, chapters, but also uh, industry and government chapters. And so we have an interest in the policies representing the the interests of the the scientists in all of those different arenas and the policies that affect them. Um, So many of our members come to us earlier in their careers, but we have a variety of programs that serve throughout their careers, um, we're also an organization that largely connects across disciplines. We're a multidisciplinary organization, so all branches of science, all fields of science, uh, and all levels of science. So many of our senior members tend to give back to the, to the next generation of scientists through mentorship and that, and that sort of thing um we just had our, our annual conference the international forum on research excellence so we have an emphasis within the organization on ethics and integrity and how research is conducted so um, but broadening that definition from what historically or traditionally has been viewed as the, your number of publications or your grants or the institute at which you work as being a de- defining of your excellence Reality is today, I think that the public expects more from science. And so broadening the definition of excellence includes who does the science? Is it inclusive? Is it collaborative? Does it serve the interests of the public? Are we, are we taking into consideration the needs of society as we do this, this work that we do? So Sigma's Eyes, um, I would say our mission is sort of evolving uh in a modern culture
0: mm-hmm. and now uh, so m- my follow-up to that so you clearly the members are researchers not everyone has to leave the bench to you know dedicate themselves to advocacy and uh um and uh policy uh but it feels to me like um you can be in research and leverage uh, your you know your knowledge your passion for these issues and bring some results back to your institute, to your research, to your lab. Can you talk a little bit about that—that uh, that aspect of uh, of how Sigma Xi can can uh, promote this?
1: Uh, so, actually, that's the heart of the project that Adriana has been working on. And you know, we started with a Civic Science Fellow Andrew George um, developing uh, the concept for a platform that allows scientists of, of all different um, disciplines and all different career stages to engage in policy. And one of the things that we really wanted to emphasize is that um, scientists can contribute to policy in a variety of roles. And and many of the the opportunities that are discussed out there um, when you're first being introduced to policy are fellowships and these things that require you to leave research behind in many ways and go full-time into policy. But the reality is scientists don't want to necessarily leave the bench. They want their expertise to be incorporated into evidence-based policymaking. And so uh, we're trying to identify uh, opportunities for scientists to lend their expertise to the policy process without having to be fully uh, involved. Um, And also not to be limited to advocacy only. Uh, There's a lot of advisory roles. Uh, and, you know, support that can be provided to legislators that isn't in, a, in an a, um, advocacy capacity. And so, you know, maybe Adriana can talk a little bit about the work she's been doing to, to identify all those different types of um, policy opportunities and, and what we're doing to, to make those accessible to scientists.
2: Yeah, so let me give you some background um, on the platform. So it's called Civico, and we aim to connect scientists to policy opportunities um, at the state level at this point. Um, and then, you know, we want to think about how they can take advantage of these opportunities to take action in policy or learn about policy or influence it in some way. Um, currently, I would say that, um, you know, state-level policy making is is a growing field. And so what we have in, in the platform um are as, as JB said fellowships but also internships boot camps and other kinds of training sort of a one-stop shop um for this because there's a lot of interest in the field but uh, no one's really collated everything sort of in one one place to just be able to go and search through things you can get involved in um We also have case studies of individuals that uh, use these opportunities to transition into various careers and different roles that can be uh, advocacy, can be government roles, it can be advisors, um, things like um, advisory boards and getting involved in some of these things that uh, don't require leaving the bench, right? So there's, I would say... um, of course now nowadays there's many more opportunities than there were even when i started but um things like science policy groups and opportunities on your campus um to to get involved with um or nonprofits or societies that work on some of the issues that you're interested in um all those all of those kinds of things um are in the platform and and maybe hopefully will give you some ideas of the way different ways you getting engaged
0: excellent uh, and so you've uh told kind of very quickly, we've, uh, I myself and you uh, complemented a little bit the, the, the story of your journeys, of your academic and then professional journeys. And one thing I've learned in these, uh, you know, just a little bit over four years of podcasts and of talking with people who did their PhDs and did, then did something else is that the path is not linear. It's uh, sometimes it's happenstance. Sometimes it's, uh, you know, it's uh, there's serendipity in there. There's some uh, uh, chaos. And looking back, people are able to make sense of it. But it feels like this platform may help uh, people actually have kind of a leg up and start towards this uh, this adding this policy branch to their uh, journey in a more uh, straightforward way. Um, I wonder if you have a comment on that, on on the, the the linearity or or absence of it once you leave the bench and decide to do something else
2: as i mentioned i mean for me the sort of side project that i was working on this postdoc salary is turned into my career right so that's something that can happen um you have a project that you're really interested in and that can translate um so that's i think that's in some ways good advice um finding a policy area that you're interested in passionate about and sort of following that to see where it can lead you because there's a lot of opportunities at different different sectors you can work in and um for me, um, it was very exploratory in some way because um, that's really one area I was interested in, but also wanted to see what other options were out there. Uh, I got involved with a number of scientific societies and policy committees and nonprofits, uh, you know, trying to see where policy was happening and the different settings. And eventually, ended up doing advocacy, but that's really because. Um, I wanted to try and push push certain things on Capitol Hill that I was already working on before. Um, so I think you, what you said makes makes sense and that's that's right. There's some luck involved in it kind of right place right time. um but that's kind of that would be I think kind of my general advice is finding something that you're interested in kind of following that. and the platform certainly facilitates that in uh, some of the disciplines that we have there, but um having a policy area of interest um can kind of drive your Mm-hmm. Too.
0: And for people who, who might be interested or curious or who might uh, actually be a little bit doubtful of exactly what policy means, what, what effect it can have on their research, uh, who they can interact with, uh, you know, it could be the federal level, it could be state level. Can you can you popularize a little bit of that uh, for people who might not be so much in the know uh, about the space, about the the, the, the culture?
1: Yeah, I wanted I wanted Adriana to speak on that last point because I think she's had an interesting career and she continues. She's at a, a point now where she's continuing to build the networks and the relationships and the and find those opportunities, um, which are numerous and varied. Uh, and it really comes down to building the relationships that lead to your next opportunity in policy. And at some point, you become settled. And I, I would say, to some degree, I've. Settled into my position, it's hard for me to have a lot of um, movement um, at this level. Uh, but the path to get here was definitely nonlinear. And, and to, to address your question, uh, you know, first figuring out what the ecosystem looks like, what's the landscape of policy? And to be honest, the AAAS Fellowship is like the, the fastest track to really getting integrated into policy. Uh, But there are many, many fellowships now. There's lots of fellowships at the state level. There's also more uh, federal level policy fellowships. And so you really need to take a look at all of those. Most of the the disciplines have uh, one of the scientific societies that offers a, a policy fellowship. And then once you get into those positions, you start to see what the opportunities are and how you can apply your scientific training. Uh, so th- I think that the, the strength of the AAAS fellowship is that it's specifically intended to take advantage of your scientific background and bring those analytical skills uh, and that that discipline um, specific knowledge to some area. Now I made an interesting leap. Being a biologist, I chose to work on what I considered to be the greatest threat to humanity, uh, which is climate change and so I didn't go to the NIH and, and take a, a, something that was very closely related to my scientific training. I went to, to DOE and worked with mostly physicist fellows, so most of the people that worked around me were from physics, and they were incredibly intelligent, and they were working on these problems, um, very complex problems, um, and I found my path um, in, in policy, and it wasn't what I expected, uh you know doing strategic policy analysis and developing strategic plans and and developing the data that informs investments in renewable energy technologies those are those are things you don't ever envision as a molecular biologist doing Um, but those experiences introduced me to the many different facets of policy and how the executive branch where i was working uh, interacted with the legislative branch and, and and even the white house and so you have to get in and and sort of investigate and tinker around and figure out where you fit and where you can apply your skills, and keep your eyes open for opportunities, especially mm-hmm. in the early days, because uh, you know those small opportunities might turn into huge opportunities, and and that's really my story. The the way that I arrived at Sigma's eye is is a, a small opportunity turning into a huge one.
0: Excellent. And and uh, a curiosity that I have is. Once you are in these types of settings, in these types of conversations, these types of projects, who are who are the, the types of uh, stakeholders that you're having conversations with, that you're sitting at the table with, who uh, that, that are usually not in the normal universe of a scholar, of a researcher? Mm-hmm.
1: Well, would you ever imagine yourself sitting um, with the uh, Secretary of Energy or a governor? of a state or uh, you know those are definitely opportunities that that you'll get Um, having a phd i think inserts you in the federal government at a level that uh, gives you much more access and so i would say if you're a grad student get that phd if you even if you want to go into policy and then uh, and leverage that because it opens doors for you but yeah there were many situations and and i and i did spend time at the white house I uh, didn't necessarily work with President Obama during my time, but I did work with John Holdren, who was the advisor to the president. And, uh, and some of his staff brought me in to work on science communications around climate change uh, because I had a, a fair amount of experience uh, in science communication at that point. And so you, know, you can't always anticipate that you're gonna be in those high level situations, but um, they do happen. And then at the state level, actually i think you can get pretty high within the government pretty quickly if you um if you choose uh the right opportunities uh because you know even there there's there's more interest in getting science hearing from scientists at the state level um
0: many times. excellent and from what i uh, uh, read civico kind of wants to be a bridge because these are two spaces that are maybe contiguous sometimes but they're not you know they they're not naturally close and uh, it feels like civico is going to be a bridge to make it easier for communication to happen one way and and you know that way and back uh, is this uh, adriana do you have a comment on this
2: Yeah, so I think there's sort of two ways to look at this. One is, uh, as I already said, that um, there really isn't one place where all these opportunities have been collated. And so that's one of the things we wanted to do is centralize um, state-level opportunities. I think it'll grow beyond that um, into one place where you can search through different things, depending on where you live and different filters and all of that. Um, But also we talked about um, sort of the other side, right, where... Um, policymakers and and their staff and folks in government are looking for scientific expertise, which uh, is increasingly happening, and uh, nice to see that. Um, so the idea that um, we connect scientists with policy opportunities, but also policymakers who are interested in scientific expertise for a number of things, um, and there are different projects, and, and certainly that's that's been seen um, when I was at um, University of California, for example, you know, we would have um, experts work in, um, you know, talk to Congress about specific topics, uh, testify and or even just serve as an advisor for specific things that they were trying to develop. So um, that's something else to consider is um, where your expertise is helpful in, in these different settings where um, policymakers are looking for the expertise that you have. and. Um, Something you can share with them. And do
0: you have an example, you know, for for people who are are listening or watching, an example of uh, one of these uh, subjects, these questions or these issues where uh, government needs scientists to chime in? Uh, Do you have examples?
2: Yeah. So I think some of the best ones are, um, folks who have transitioned and, um, you know, for example, like the CCST fellowship, right. They've, um, done a state fellowship and work in California government. Um, that's one of the best ones that, uh, is well known as far as, um, state level opportunities. Um, from my, my, um, career, you know, we worked on a lot on, for example, wildfires. And this is something that um is uh, growing, I think, at the federal level too. Um, but we've often had folks um who, you know, they did roundtables on wildfires to inform some future um, you know, responses or, or just legislative language. Um or reports or things that would be used by agencies, for example, uh, by NIH or um, by Congress in a number of settings. So um, definitely have seen policymakers reaching out to scientists for for expertise.
0: Now, uh, you had mentioned to me this idea of a speakers bureau, and it feels like it connects with what you were just talking now. Can you talk a little bit about that?
2: Yeah, so this relates to um, you know, right now we um are, are launching a, a pilot version of Civico, so we have our um launch event on Monday. But um and it's currently geared towards uh scientists who want to engage in policymaking, but um like I said, there's increasingly uh interest from policymakers and staff to to look for the scientific expertise. And so, um, you know, from the platform, we'll have scientists um, who have profiles in there that a staff person can find um, who, who is in a specific um, policy area or a specific state, right? So there's different ways to filter through um, um, policy fields, which state you're in, uh, what kind of branch of government, um, and then um, I think it's really valuable and, and nice to see sort of increased interest from policymakers in scientific expertise, and so I think it'll become a valuable platform um, for them to search through this database of scientists and be able to reach out to them for different purposes.
0: And uh, thinking of, of about the you know, the ecosystem, the academic ecosystem, you know, there's there's PIs, there's postdocs, there's graduate students. Can anyone? who is a young researcher or, you know, PhD to be, who has this interest to uh, to maybe have something to say on the policy side, uh, go onto the platform, explore, and participate?
2: Yes, absolutely. Uh, it's free, open. Um, you just have to create an account to be able to see all the opportunities. So we have a few... Um, Things that are sort of public facing, but really the bulk of the information is behind the login uh, because we want you to be able to see uh, all the content that we have in there and connect with folks um, who are in the platform and also um, the folks who are um, represented as the case studies as well. Um, so, yeah, please, um, please join and uh, sign up. Yeah. The website is up right now, so go Civico. Um, and, you know, we launched it um, sort of informally a few days ago and presented on it at the, um, uh, um, I for conference. Um, so we've had a few already, a good number of folks sign up, um, but this is going to be a virtual event. Uh, we'll have speakers, um, from staff and advisory board, um, and of course doing a deep dive sort of demonstration of the platform, um on November 20th at noon. So that's something uh, if you're interested, you can sign up.
1: It's important to to know really the origin of CIVICO because it came out of a state level science policy fellowship. So the North Carolina State um, STEM Postgraduate Fellowship is uh, working with Sigma Xi to develop the training for the fellows before they go into the state government. So we started working with, created a, a, a online sort of virtual seminar series that talked about opportunities in, in state policy. And then that transitioned to a, a four-day in-person boot camp where we're actually um, bringing in the fellows, but then we opened that up to um, all scientists to, to be a part of it. And it is that pro- it is that boot camp where we realized that you know just exposing scientists to all the different types of opportunities in the state government um, needed a platform. and then that expanded um, to what Adriana's really been building, which is you know something that can be propagated to any state and even incorporating federal opportunities. so, young scientists senior scientists anyone can come to the platform get a little bit of education about policy process and then choose a pathway we really designed the the platform around choosing a pathway where do you see yourself in science policy do you want to uh, leverage your research background to identify policy opportunities or do you want to be involved in the formulation of policy whether it's in the legislative or executive branch or do you want to be in the implementation and evaluation of policy? Uh, usually, that's done in the executive branch. So, uh, just breaking policy down into those three areas is a starting point for educating yourself about policy. And then diving in a little deeper um, into each of those three areas, you, you can really gain some insights and in where you want to where you want mm-hmm. to
0: be. And Jamie, so you talked about your journey and how, as a graduate student. You 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 know you had this interest and you started investing some time in it and one of the issues one of the preoccupations I get from students often is I'd love to be implicated in something but how how do I manage my time to do it I, <laughs> Do you have some insight on that and uh, and maybe a kind of a game plan to to maybe slowly taper into into something more involved but while staying in a healthy relationship with your research as a graduate student.
1: Uh, Yes. Uh, Well, you know, there's,
0: fortunately,
1: culture is changing a little uh, in academia, but I would say during my time, it was highly frowned upon for you to do anything other than research. And I think, unfortunately, that's still the case for many grad students and postdocs out there, that if they're perceived as being distracted at all, then they're not serious about their research careers. But I really hope that the definition of a scientist and what this this emerging movement that we're now calling civic science, which is really being advanced uh, heavily by the Rita Allen Foundation, who is coordinating a lot of the thinking around civic science, and I have to thank Elizabeth Christopherson for her leadership in that, uh, but you know, we're changing the culture of science to be more civically inclined, and therefore scientists should be given some uh, coverage or some support for doing things outside the lab that connect science to society. Um, And so, you know, the challenge is that the expectations of a grad student are high and you have to deliver uh, on your research. So you have to, first of all, make sure you've got that under control. If you are advancing and and contributing and, and, and progressing the way you need to in grad school, then maybe you can find a little bit of time on the side to dive into some of these side interests, whether it's science communication or science policy, um, you know, I literally had to to sort of um, sneak around uh, in some ways on campus. But then once my group reached a certain level and we were written. Uh, up in the school newspaper, uh, there was no hiding what I was doing. Um, but at that point, I think I'd established myself enough and, you know, as a, as a scientist and as someone who was trying to advance policy that it became somewhat accepted and people knew that that was something I was interested in working on. So um, I can't say your advisor is going to be the best partner in this, but, but maybe as you're going into it, find an advisor who's open to you doing things outside the lab. And then, uh, and then pursuing those those opportunities. That's great
0: advice. And uh, Adriana, on your side, because you also uh, started something uh, when you were uh, when you were in graduate school. Do you have a comment on this aspect?
2: Yeah. So I mean, I think it's really important for scientists, even when you even if you're just starting out in graduate school, to think about the societal impact of your research. Um, and you know, I've heard more of this recently that um, a few universities they are doing um, have sort of policy or sort of uh, societal, you know, chapters in their dissertation that relate to the societal relevance or policy impact. Uh, That's the sort of thing you should think about that anyway, even if you're not writing it, but I would, I would include that in your dissertation. Um, So that's potentially one way to sell this because um, I, when I started Um, you know, I organized some, um, trainings and career development workshops, um, and a symposium, which my advisor actually attended. So that's one way to get the buy-in that, um, you know, you can build something that your university, um, will find useful. And also, um, I think eventually it became something that they embraced because they could see the value for, for their faculty and their postdocs who were involved too. Um, But um, one thing is, um, yeah, I think, uh, you know, I guess when I I started, um, it wasn't similarly to Jamie. It wasn't um, very obvious what I was doing. I was started writing about um, issues related to women in science and why we need to diversify the pipeline uh, while I was running, you know, my Western lots and like, well, I have to wait for two hours, might as well do something else. And so that's how it started. Right. And that it became accepted in some ways, uh, <clears throat> because the university benefited from it, um, in some fashion. But, uh, my advisor was pretty receptive, um, of some of those activities too.
0: Mm-hmm. Excellent. Um, now I'm, I'm going to bring us up like this again. Um, yeah, um, because now I'm I'm thinking we're getting to the the end of, of I think we've covered most that I that I had thought of. If I missed something, you know, some or if there's something that you'd like to bring up, we have the date uh, of the launch, uh, November 20th at, no, at noon. There's a link going down here. Uh, actually, I'm gonna I'm gonna make it clearer, but there's a link down here to um, to register. GoCivico.com is the site that is already live. Is there some aspect that, uh, that we didn't cover? Is there some call to action uh, that, that you want to give uh, to the audience? Uh, it's the moment to, to do that.
1: Well, I, you know, I would say that uh, we just had Francis Arnold, uh, who's Nobel laureate at Sigma Xi's International Forum on Research Excellence. And, uh, you know, this is a Nobel Laureate scientist uh, and she's at Caltech, but she travels, I think, bi-weekly. So every couple of weeks back to Washington, D.C. to participate in the President's Council um, on Science and Technology. so she's an advisor to the federal government while she's also a premier scientist. And I think that says a lot that uh, about the importance of having scientists who are prepared to serve in those roles. And if you have done nothing um, but science, it'd be very difficult at that stage of your career to understand the connections between your research and society. And so I think w- as a culture of science, we should be shifting in a direction where at the earliest stages, scientists are given opportunities to understand those connections and to choose a pathway that serves um, their interests in in making those connections. And and what I mean is, you know, I initially started out as a science communicator uh, using social media to communicate science. And that sort of led me to policy because I was drawn to the intersection of science communication and policy. How does science communication advance policy? Uh, and then that ultimately led me into um, positions in policy where uh, that were tremendously rewarding. So I, I think that you know everyone should be thinking about how to get the experience to be prepared when their research is is in need of um, of a policy solution. And, and that's an interesting thing: is you may feel that your research does not does not have policy implications but probably coronavirus uh, virologists didn't anticipate COVID and the role that, that their research would play in development of policy either. So um, we should all have at least some basic understanding and we should be pursuing those goals.
0: Adriana, do you have something to add?
2: Yeah, so I think just um, somewhat to parallel what Jamie said, I think as an early career scientist, you know, there's lots of ways to get involved and explore the field um, while you're still doing research. Uh, get involved with your local science policy group. You know, if it doesn't exist, create one. That's good leadership experience. Um, get involved with your scientific society. And a lot of societies nowadays have different types of programs and uh, opportunities for policy. Um, this is one of the things, and I always say this on podcasts, that just because your early career doesn't mean you don't have something to offer that policymakers are going to listen to you. And in fact, from my experience, um, they really like to hear from students and you know their perspectives and research and what they're going through has influenced um you know uh programs in the executive branch legislative language and things where uh early career le- uh issues and and pipeline issues were interesting and they wanted to highlight that more so uh don't be afraid to get involved where you are um and then if you're interested in um, transitioning full time, again, there's a lot of fellowships and opportunities. I think in some ways uh, you kind of le- learn on the job um, how the system works, but uh, these fellowships can be helpful uh, for transitioning and certainly will be, a lot of them will be in Civico too. So uh, check it out.
1: Yeah. You know, you know, David, I wanted to add on to that point that Adriana made about being a certain stage of your career and, and contributing. That's absolutely true that no matter where you are, if you are inclined towards science, um, you have a voice that can be used and, and, and there are policymakers who are interested. I, I would say that um, also there's, there's almost a limit uh, in, in the impact that you might anticipate. There, there may be doors that won't open unless you have certain types of experience. Um, and so you want to, to practice humility as you're going into policy. I think across the board, we, we often think that science is the answer. Um, and, and when you put, bring science into the policy process, we have to come with humility because science is, is ultimately um, weighed in a, in a series of values decisions that have to be made. And, and uh, the best thing that we can do is have science at the table and ready to answer a question but not always expect or uh, force science to drive the, the the decisions that are made um i think that we often too too often um push science um over other values and and that's not how policies mm. made
0: it feels to me like it's um you need to go in uh, you know often on the show uh you i hear I hear someone say uh, PhDs are ultra learners, and I think it, it go in what you're saying, and what I how I'm interpreting it is go in as someone who's going to learn something new and and bring another you know another palette of colors to to the the, the discussion, but not going to be the the smartest person in the room. And and it's funny because in other contexts we we talk about, a lot about careers on the show. Uh, it's something that's come back again and again. How this attitude can hinder you in whichever discussion between a, be it a job interview or, uh, like you said, entering this new space where now the, the the system is much more complex and and science is just one part of of uh, what's uh, what's having a, an impact on decisions. It's a uh, super super interesting. the The, the project is uh, sounds to me very uh, very sound, very exciting. Uh, I think uh, also because. As of late, you mentioned COVID. Uh, as of late, uh, research and science has been, I wouldn't say under attack, but under critique or or in this sort of a crisis of, uh, <laughs> of, uh, of public opinion around it. And having the people who do it at the table, I think is very, very important. And it feels to me like what Sigma Zai is doing with Civico is really a, a, a one-stop shop for people to be able to cross that bridge easily, and be part of those discussions uh, in, what's in, a, in a way that's much simpler than they might have thought of just being in their lab and thinking, I wish I could do something about this. Well, now there's a place where they can go and actually kind of have a, a, a jumpstart to that side of things. It, it, it feels really, really inspiring, and I uh, really commend, commend you for, for the project and, and, for, and for thinking of bringing in the research community like that. It's really inspiring.
1: Yeah, you know, I I, I often say that we have this hypothesis, uh, I call it a hypothesis, that that more science is going to lead to better policy outcomes. And we really won't know that until we've brought to bear the full um, interest and focus of the scientific enterprise. And I think when people view barriers to policy, then we're not enabling them to have the impact they potentially could on policy and that's what civico is designed to to address is lowering that barrier for folks who want to engage in policy to be able to do so
0: excellent there's a big challenge in bringing people who are in research into these domains who are less directly uh, connected to their lab to their to their research subject and it's really really important to have these conversations and to show that no, you have a place here. Uh, actually, you you are you are wanted by by the the community that is not in research because they need you. They need your knowledge. They need um, your 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 know-how. And uh, and I think it's really really important to kind of make it clear that it's not menacing. It's not just for people uh, who have I don't know years of experience in diplomacy or politics, etc. You as a young as a young researcher, as a young scientist, can uh, contribute to the conversation and actually lead to outcomes uh, that that you can see in your. And that we had we had seen this uh, when I had talked to Adriana. You can see results of of uh, of these efforts in a time frame that's often they can be shorter than what you do in research, which <laughs> often it takes a long time to get results.
1: That that's a great point because you know I think there are people who are motivated motivated by um, immediate gratification and policy is is a way to have a little bit of that I mean you have as many failures in policy as you do in science but um, the accomplishments affect a lot of people potentially affect a lot of people I mean Adriana had a, a nice addition to the recent Chips and Science Act that's going to potentially affect. You know the the scientific workforce, and that it will forever be an impact she has on the scientific community. And policy is very rewarding in that way, and it's it's worth it when you can um, have that type of success. Um, but you know, you mentioned something that we didn't we didn't touch on this as much as we probably should have, which is you know one of the things that I I really wanted Civico to accomplish was not only to identify the opportunities, but to connect a training. With the opportunity, so that whatever that opportunity is, you can discover, you can learn how to do it well. You know, scientists may not feel prepared to to sit on an advisory commission uh, in the in the state or federal government. And so, where can you go to learn about that particular type of policy engagement, or where do you go to to, to serve as a as a um, a witness in a, in a in a hearing? You know, these types of things, those trainings are out there. But you don't always have someone to connect you to that training when you identify the opportunity, and so we we hope to accomplish that as well.
0: Adriana, Jamie, uh, this was this was really really uh, very inspiring. It was uh, it was great. The potential I see it it's there. Uh, I hope uh, the launch is a great success, and the, that you can bring these burgeoning uh, uh, policy <laughs> makers or contributors to the table uh, who might be hiding, not hiding, but maybe afraid or, or <laughs> fearful of stepping up, uh, that you can bring them to to the limelight and having take, having them take part in these conversations. So the launch again, November 20th, 20th at noon. Uh, I will share the link. I have a shortened link here, which is hard to say live, but I will share it in the, the show notes of the episode. And, um, India. Uh, I, I'm going to be waiting for updates on the project because this sounds really, really, really cool. Thank you for having has taken the time to be here today and to talk about it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to another Beyond the Thesis conversation with me, David Mendez, and my guests Adriana Bankston and Jamie Vernon. If you found any value in this conversation, please share it with someone like you, and help Beyond the Thesis reach as many years as possible. And if you want to help a little bit more, please go to papaphd.com forward slash audience and fill in the survey that is there for you, and leave a comment so I can give you a shout out in a future episode. Thank you for being a fan, happy listening, and happy sharing.